McDonald's wants to know what you're thinking when you order. Its betting AI will help it find out. A California-based company called Covariant moving up in the race to become the default digital brain for warehouse robots. And a new way of building with Reconstruct. Welcome to AI Transform with Ryo Kotsky. Hi, I'm Douglas Kirkpatrick. I'm here with Dave McCombs and Ryokatsky to report from the front lines of business transformation. Join us for insights and analysis on how digital transformation, machine learning, and big data are shaping the future of commerce. In this, our first episode, you'll hear news from around the industry and some comments from Yo, Executive Director of Ignitus AI. But first, a profile of Ryo that charts his unique path from Japan to Switzerland, Silicon Valley, the UK, and now back to Japan. It's a journey that put him at the center of a computer science revolution very early on and gave him entree to developing business applications for what we now know as human-centric artificial intelligence. Here's Dave McCombs and Ryo Kotsky. Thanks, Douglas. If you read or watch the news at all, you've been hearing a lot about artificial intelligence, and you're using the technology every time you fire up a search engine or ask your mobile phone to call your manicurist or find a vegan Lebanese restaurant in Hong Kong. But for every successful AI implementation, many others fall short. That's why we've created this podcast to analyze trends and news through a human-centric lens. And Ryo Katsky is the perfect person to help us do that. Ryo will be interviewing business leaders in the thick of human-centric AI transformations. For this episode, we're going to tell Ryo's own story. It's an eye-opening journey that starts with video games and leads into the center of early AI research and development. The real power of technology is as a tool that empowers humans. But when the payoff you are looking for is transformational, human must be at the center of the equation rather than one that displaces them or controls them. And if you know my backstory, you might see why I have chosen this path. In some ways, I was always destined to be in this industry. It's a destiny that's in Ryo's blood, in the sense that it starts with his father, Hirotoshi Katsuki. Dad was a technology development executive at Sharp Corporation. Other fathers were bringing home toy trains or erector sets for their kids, but Hirotoshi was bringing home the latest, greatest personal computers. In the late 1980s, Sharp was fighting hard for market share in the fast-emerging PC business. And Ryo's dad was traveling the world to make that happen. But the models he was bringing home were nothing like the super-fast entertainment media machines kids today enjoy. To get Sharp's MZ80 personal computer to do anything other than type out words, you had to program it yourself. And that's exactly what Ryo's father taught him to do. By age six, he'd already completed a working golf game that used ASCII, a language designed for representing characters. Using only that, he was able to generate a stick figure, swinging a club, and of course, it only worked on a sharp MZ80. But it was enough to turn Ryo into a full-blown computer nerd in his earliest days. 
In school, he wasn't the most enthusiastic about all subjects, but he was very creative and he channeled that strongly into computing, continuing to develop multiplayer games that at that early stage could only hint at the hyper-connected world game players enjoy today. Those were the days, and, and they were indeed my toys. There were many days I wouldn't come out of the room. Uh, my mother had to drag me into the kitchen so that I would eat. For me, a way of looking into the future and allowing me to express a vision for that future, that was what my toys were then. While Sharp was sending your father around the world, you were studying at an international school in Switzerland. As it happens, the school was one of the very few in the world to have a full computer science program. Now, many high schools at the time were starting to look into computer science, but this particular school had a real emphasis on it. Even the largest, most advanced high schools at the time tended to have a single computer lab where time on machines was parceled out to a handful of students, and even fewer teachers were capable of teaching that emerging field. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, I find that my school offers my hobby as a class. And I became uh, one of the things that I excelled in. And I remember my teacher had an X system, this computer that was rare and it was expensive and he had it at home. And uh, he took some of us and myself into his room and showed us um, how that worked. And uh, it was nothing like we had, right? I mean, we were just playing with IBM compatible machines with these, these little disks. And what he had was graphic chips in it and did amazing things. And I was just amazed. By the time Rio was ready to graduate his international high school in Switzerland, you knew where he wanted to go. The reason I chose uh, University of California, Berkeley, was specifically because I wanted to study computer science and under some of the greatest professors around the world. Even prior to that, the field of computer science really wasn't a field on its own right until just a few years before I was a university student. And Berkeley was uh, one of the first universities to recognize computer science as a field on, on its own his entry came just three years before the publication of UC Berkeley professor Stuart Russell's book, Artificial Intelligence, A Modern Approach. Now, this was co-authored with Peter Norvig, who's now the director of research at Google. This is a very important volume. It's, it's considered the Bible for artificial intelligence. It's actually a textbook at college-level artificial intelligence studies at more than 1,400 universities in 116 countries. Rio was there as that book was being put together. His book obviously became a biggest hit in the subject of uh, artificial intelligence. It was just fun. To see all that happening at that time, I mean, it was the 1990s, there was a lot going on in the world, and computers were coming onto the scene. But I think for the, the typical college student, it was just a way to type term papers, right? This idea of the possibilities that lay ahead in terms of crunching data and creating actual systems. As a senior computer science student at Berkeley, you found yourself studying directly under Russell, and soon enough, you were contributing to pioneering efforts to implement the technology in businesses and non-governmental organizations. By then, this is the mid-1990s now, there was a boom in day trading on personal computers, and that was driving a big demand for fast, reliable, secure transactions for millions of ordinary people to buy and sell stocks. You were in on that chase, and it led you to the epicenters of computer science research. I got involved in um, distributed computing divisions at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. It, it is a Department of Energy lab, just adjacent to Berkeley. In fact, it's within the Berkeley campus. There, I luckily found a project that was um, researching into secure remote control of machines. And we were experimenting different methods to connect two people who don't know each other and establish trust and, and share resources together. 
it was fundamental to you know what inspired in in the years to come. From there, I know you got involved in developing the secure internet standard, Hypertext Transfer Protocol Secure. Uh, this is what everyone is maybe familiar with because it's what they type in or click on whenever you visit a secure website. It was a necessity, really. There's a lot of good researches going on across the labs uh, around the world, and we were starting to share the ideas online, real time, and that's what we were enabling. And now it's not just institution, it's not just research. We all are. We have a satiable appetite for that platform to do just about everything. It's transformational, right? More on Rio in a minute. But first, we'd like to thank you for listening to AI Transform with Rio Katsky. Please subscribe, like, and share the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you gather your media assets. Please email us with any questions, comments, or suggestions at podcast at Ignitus AI. That's podcast at I-G-N-I-T-U-S dot A-I. After graduating UC Berkeley, Rio went to work for a company called Cambridge Technology Partners. He's quite humble about the company's approach to helping businesses introduce the full power of computing in their business processes. We represented ourselves as computer experts. Back then, that was really enough for us to get a chance to solve business problems. Remember, it was the mid-1990s. It was a dial-up world, just on the brink of the internet revolution. Rio was still spending most of his time on laboratory research and developing insights for putting computing power to work in organizations. This brought him to Novell, the software company whose netware program made local area networks doable for companies of all sizes. As a company, Novell was definitely in the right place at the right time. And so was Rio yet again. The challenge we had was really connecting uh, multiple computers that were heterogeneous. And I, I was able to just bring up things that I used to do when I was a kid, you know, uh, connect up computers. Businesses really needed people to do that. And for me, it was a pretty easy entry. So here we have another case, again, where Rio's going back to his childhood where he was networking his friends. Now he's helping Novell, a breakthrough innovative company, develop a system for connecting computers that were never designed to be connected together. As part of that, his day-to-day work became transforming businesses. And that wasn't by replacing humans with computers. It was by using the power of computers to leverage the skills and resources already present in organizations. The kinds of networks he was building were enabling companies to do more with less labor. But more important, they were empowering bigger groups across time zones and office spaces to collaborate in real time. People had computers at work. They were using computers, but what if they were connected and actually talk to others, collaborate on the computers? Novell offered was exactly that. It was a, it was a solution to network. At the end of the day, we were connecting computers, but we were connecting people, workers, and creating a collaborative environment. But the pace of change in the world of technology is relentless. And in this case, that meant that Novell's breakthrough software had a huge competitor in the form of Microsoft. When Microsoft built similar capabilities into its Windows operating system, times got very tough for Novell. But the lessons Rio learned about business processes stuck. He moved from there to become head of product engineering and data science at a mapping applications builder that was eventually bought out by Apple. He then went on to found an AI-based sales solution company and to lead several other organizations before making the move back home to Japan to start Ignitus AI. 
After my Novell days, I devoted myself in developing feedback loops and learning machines. Of course, I already knew the value of data and how impactful and transformational information can be to companies and societies when it is orchestrated in a certain ways to help people think and do things they would not have otherwise. I thought more and more about orchestrating the information about people to help systems do things they would not otherwise. Then the systems can help people even more and people can help systems to help them more. I became quite keen on the idea that there is a symbiotic relationship between people and information systems and soon enough I found myself helping create tight and fast feedback loop and virtual cycles really um, for, for, for demand generation, growth, um, value creation for uh, companies uh, including mobile app companies, social game companies, uh, sales and marketing teams or startup companies, uh, e-tailers. Then um, later I, I, I offered my data-driven practices, uh, approaches, methodologies to global brands in various industries including automotive, financial, transportation, uh, consumer goods, uh, some manufacturing companies. While Rill was working with scores of data scientists, engineers, and programmers to build transformational processes for organizations, his original mentor, Stuart Russell, was also narrowing his AI focus into something he calls human-centered AI. It's an approach to centering the idea that computers will always be tools that help humans rather than replace them. Russell's most recent book is Human Compatible, Artificial Intelligence and the Problem of Control. Rill has brought that same focus to his company, Ignitus AI, and also to how he understands and analyzes the torrent of AI news coming out daily and to analyzing projects and prospects within the industry. If you look at the earliest pioneer of AI, they also understood that the real power of technology is as a tool that empowers humans rather than one that displaces them or controls them. These applications can be harder to develop, and the business case for their use is typically longer term, requiring bigger commitments and, in some cases, more risks. I look forward to talking about this and exploring this idea broadly and deeply in coming episodes. What data do you want for your business? And if you had that data... How would you transform your operation? We are here to help you find the transformational answers to these questions. The power of data science is stoking an accelerating change at organizations and in the business environment itself. To keep up, you need hyper-agility. Big data must play a constructive, creative, human-centered role. This kind of change works best when it fits with and emerges from your business's DNA. We've helped car makers, pharmaceutical research organizations, hospitality providers, and others transform their businesses using these tools. Let us do the same for you. Find more at ignitus.ai. That's I-G-N-I-T-U-S dot A-I.
And now, here's the news. Covariant has completed an $80 million investment round led by Index Ventures. Money is pouring in to back the Berkeley, California-based robotics startups platform for warehouse robots. Covariant makes the software brains that drive supply chain logistics and already has customers like Obeta, Nap, ABB, and Bastion. The startup is developing software that lets robots pick objects, one of the most widely contested challenges for automation in logistics and many types of manufacturing. Its biggest customers are e-commerce companies, automating their logistics and supply chains. The startup's main rivals are Chinese, although one, Linkwiz, is based in Japan. Companies like Quicktron Intelligent Technology, Cyclone, and Follow Inspiration are vying to become the dominant platform. A U.S.-based startup that uses AI to help monitor construction sites drew investment from Japan's mobile phone giant NTT Docomo as part of a $17 million Series B funding round. The company, Reconstruct, says its application is already working at sites in Southeast Asia and Australia. The goal is to more accurately track progress on projects so that suppliers can make faster and more accurate delivery decisions. McDonald's is using AI at some of its Chicago drive throughs to take orders. It's using technology from Silicon Valley startup Apprente, which the burger giant acquired in 2019. McDonald's also bought Dynamic Yield and is using its AI technology to tailor menus to individual customers to boost sales. Those deals have predictably triggered concern that the Golden Arches is phasing out humans to take orders. It has replaced live order takers with AI bots at 10 Chicago-area drive throughs The bigger goal for the company is to use voice analysis to help customers get what they really want. Imagine the AI bot asking a customer whether they want a small, medium, or large drink, then offering a discount, or not, based on a voice analysis of the customer's response. And now with some thoughts on the news, once again, here's Dave McCombs with Ryokatsuki. Maybe a good example of how you apply the human-centric lens to the AI world is your take on the push by McDonald's to introduce the technology in its drive through services. I saw this as a step by the burger chain to cut labor costs. You know, replace the cashiers and drive through window workers with the robot. But you see a little bit more than that, right? For sure, there will be some opportunities to cut costs. They're going to learn a lot from the data. But they're doing a lot of that already by providing these self-service kiosks. They have eliminated people at the counter for sure doing that. But the main point here about the data is really understanding what people want. And what I think we have to understand is what McDonald's does is fast food. And who is better than fast food than McDonald's? I can't name anyone. Surely they're going to be using this data and that same angle. Imagine you start ordering, you haven't said a word fries yet, but say your expression, your voice, something in a history that purchase record is suggesting you're going to go down that road anyway. The AI can pick that up and, and then start getting that going. And then the fries would be there perhaps a few seconds earlier than they normally would. I think that's where they're going with this. AI Transform with Ryokatsuki is brought to you by Ignitus AI a technology consulting firm that delivers digital transformation. Covariant, the company that's developing software brains for warehouse robots, these competition from Amazon and Google. Very, very hyper-competitive space. 
whoever wins here and develops the best platform for the industry in shaping the, the future of automation. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to be the platform for warehouse robotics. Think of all the other companies around the world that, that don't have the capability to automate that process. If you can build a platform that's simple to use, then any company can do it. That's for sure. Another industry ripe for automation is, of course, construction. Where Reconstruct, an AI startup with backing from big names, including Japan's NTT Docomo, is offering a platform for real-time monitoring of work sites. The reality is AI is there to identify common objects, identification of what's going on. Part of this is about the camera's installation, right? Getting more pictures than what they would have with humans. The humans can only report so much. The camera can see everything. And if you have a specialized camera, you can read through the ground, through the materials, what's going inside the materials. That, that, that requires a special camera, though. But it, it is possible. Because I think that's one of the things they emphasized about Reconstruct is when you're managing a construction site, you absolutely have to be able to predict, you know, is it going to take four hours or six hours to get those pillars in? And if you can be 10% more accurate, you save 50% more time because you don't need the buffer. You don't need to build in all the fail safes. It's not just capturing images of things we know about, like materials. If you're asking people to monitor sites, they have a book. And they, they have been instructed to monitor A, B, C, D, not X, Y, Z. What about those other things? Well, camera will capture A, B, C, but also X, Y, Z and other factors that you haven't even accounted for as the owner of this business. And a data, big data and data science can actually learn from that and see how they're impacting the work in hand. I think the weather is, is a great example. You know, Imagine a construction site at the end of the day, the foreman goes... Oh yeah, yeah, there's six pillars. They're all in. But but this is what this is what we do in United AI is, is basically we're saying traditional systems, you do what you do well. It's built to uh, economically efficiently process business tasks, well-known tasks, and complete them in a way that benefits stakeholder value. Priorities come from those, and you often neglect details about people. Imagine you've got 100 construction sites and you're collecting data from those, this visual data. Then you start performing correlations. Maybe there's a correlation between sites where they stack the beams horizontally instead of vertically having more accidents. Yeah. No one would pick that up. No. But the AI can pick that sort of thing up, right? Yeah. So this is sort of like how I got into the industry back in the Cambridge Technology Partners days. We knew technology. We knew how to apply it and then learn together how industry should evolve. Today, we're talking about more and more about data science. In data science, we can partner with construction companies and we're going to look at the data and then we can actually challenge your common practices. What you believe is the best practices today may not be the best practice. There's a lot of data that we can leverage and one of the benefits as technologists and the data scientists is that we don't know the industry that well. We'll challenge everything from data. And then if we, there's a support to argue one is more efficient than the other, we'll bring it up. We'll work with the industry to find out path for improvements. Rio sees this platform as the ground floor of a system that will fully automate construction. While he's very much an advocate of human-centric AI, he also sees how construction sites are headed toward full automation a safer and much more efficient outcome for builders. He sees a future in which the work of building will be done much like what takes place in the wildly popular video game environment, Minecraft. This is the one where users can quickly assemble complex structures, even entire cities, from standardized components. 
or even create entirely new components by modifying the basic programs. It's like, how do we enable a child to build a building? Well, they already do in Minecraft. So how can we actually emulate that in reality? I think it is possible. And I think the cameras does enable us to create that in a real world. With all the cameras and control, we can easily imagine each little space in the area being represented as a pixel in a three-dimensional area. And essentially, that's what Minecraft is. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And be sure to listen to our next episode featuring news on human-centric AI, a rundown on upcoming conferences and seminars on AI, and much more. Until then, keep on transforming.